James 3.13, finishing up the chapter here today. We see that James talks about the topic of wisdom and that speaking foolish words will harm you. Speaking wise words will help you. And when we have control of our tongue, which is what he was talking about before, we, then we express, uh, then we express words that come out of the wisdom of God instead of the foolishness of men. These are words when spoken that will help us. But it's easy to get caught up into the wisdom of men and begin to speak words out of it. And so what James does is he gives us a list. Here's how you know whether it's the wisdom of God. Here's how you know if it's not. And so with this list, we can we can pick out what it is that we are operating with. Now, it was two weeks ago that we were in, we were looking at the first part of James. And then last, last time we were, uh, is there a guard on your mouth? In Proverbs 13.3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. And there are a few other verses that we looked at about the guard. Too many Christians, even though they know teaching on faith, they have a guard who's asleep. And we got to make sure that guard stays awake and that we watch the words that come out of our mouth. James 2.14 tells us it's not enough to have words if those words are not backed up. The verse reads, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? We've got to have works that that back up our faith. Works could be the things that we say and the things that we do. Our direction cannot be set by our desires. It cannot be set by our wants, our feelings, and our fears. It must be set by what God spoke to us. When God speaks to us, you shall do this. It's okay to do this. Go out and do that. Then we need to do it. Just know whenever you do something that God says to do, it will not look right in the beginning. You'll see reasons that you should pull up and and get out. Now some speak faith-sounding words, but there's no substance to them. We've got to make sure that our words have substance. And so here in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. If you're going to say that you're wise, if you're going to say that you're understanding, if you're going to speak words like this, I know God, I know his word, I know his wisdom, you're going to speak words like this, then he says, Make sure you show it by your good conduct. Make sure that the works that you have back up what it is that you say with your mouth. If we speak with our mouth, I operate in the wisdom of God and then walk according to the foolishness of men, then our words are not backing up what we say or our actions are not backing up what we say. And the the words that we speak aren't going along with the character of the person we say that we are. And so we have to make sure that these things line up. So how are we to identify those who are walking in godly wisdom? And this is what he's going to get into here. He says, let him show. I put in your notes for you. Don't be humble and conceal wisdom and understanding. 
The wisdom and understanding that we have comes from God. It's not our wisdom. It's not our understanding. It's God's and He gave it to us. But you don't have to be humble and try and cover it up. If you've got wisdom, if you've got understanding on a topic from God, speak it out. But make sure that your conduct goes along with your words. So let Him show by good conduct, not just by your words. You may speak out, this is what God says, but my conduct, the things that I do, must go in accordance with that. It, just for a, a case, and this is certainly one we can all understand, if I speak out of my mouth, I have faith in God. I am a victor. I am not defeated. If we speak words like this out, how is it that we then walk in such a way as one who is defeated? Or how is it that we speak things that show that we are in fear, that we are in turmoil, that we are in confusion? If we speak these words but declare these other things, then we are inconsistent. And we already know what James taught us about being consistent in these. Williams' translation, and I'm going to be reading the entirety of Williams' translation throughout the course of of this, but we're just going to look at the first verse here, verse 13. This from the Williams. Who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him show by his noble living that his good deeds are done in humility, which wisdom prompts. The things that you do will demonstrate who God is to the people that are watching you. Make sure that your deeds are done here, he says, in humility, which wisdom prompts. The wisdom of God should prompt you to do certain things. Don't cover those things up. Operate in the wisdom of God. Daniel operated in the wisdom of God. He didn't try and cover up the actions that it would do, though his actions were different from the society with which he lived. His friends were also in the same way. Hananiah, Mishael. They were, they were ones who society went in a different direction. God's wisdom said we need to go this way. And so they went that way. They let their deeds be seen, but they did not go around and say we are better than you. We are greater because we go this way. They just operated according to God's wisdom, but they didn't try and cover it up. This is how we need to operate. These are people, and there's many more people who we could look to as well. But verse 14 says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. The word here, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, the word there for envy is also translated zeal in its positive sense. 2 Corinthians 7, 7, And not only by his coming, but also by this consolation with which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. This is the same word here. In a, in a negative sense, it's looked at as envy. In a positive sense, it's looked at as zeal. But it's the same word. But if you have bitter Envy. Now, of course, putting the word there, bitter, in front, it certainly tells us this is not a positive direction. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. In other words, if I am looking upon other people and I'm seeing what they have and desiring it for myself, they shouldn't have that, I should have it. They don't deserve that, I deserve it. I want that even though they have it. it that's the, the envy that comes up. Somebody else has something that I feel I deserve, I should have, whatever it might be. And therefore, I want it taken from them and given to me. Or self-seeking. 
I'm just out here looking for what's best for me. I don't care what happens for anybody else. I want what's best for me. And there's that self-seeking that goes on. If we have this, self-seeking and bitter envy, if this is going on in our hearts, he says, do not boast and lie against the truth. The truth is always the truth. Of course, we've always started this this new uh, terminology, my truth. There is no my truth. There's God's truth. Either you line up with it or you don't. But that does not change what it is the truth. Just because people wanted to believe that the earth was flat didn't make the earth flat. Just because people didn't or wanted to believe that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun revolved around the earth didn't make it so. Just because some people want to believe that we didn't actually go to the moon doesn't make it so. There's a lot of things that we can disbelieve and just because I choose to disbelieve it does not make it that way. What my role is is to find out what is the truth. And he's going to uh, um, delve into that here some more. But this wisdom does not descend from above. Any kind of wisdom, anything that people are posing as some kind of wisdom, some kind of understanding, some kind of knowledge, but its end result is to put people into bitter envy of what other people have or get into a place of self-seeking. This does not come from God. God does not do this with people. God doesn't put these 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 kind of things on people. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now, self-seeking is also, you can also put in there strife. Self-seeking could also be looked at as strife, to be strife in your hearts. Now, this, this part here, do not boast and lie against the truth. I left off some of your blanks there. But people would be saying they are wise. How many people do you know that go around saying they are wise? Just about everybody on the news media says they are wise. To me, they're the biggest fools that are out there. But they speak things, they say things, and you listen to them, you say, that is so stupid, that does not comport with the truth that God has said. But they, they want to tout it, they want to say it, they want to do all these things, but they're showing themselves to be fools. People would be saying they are wise, but if it does not affect your actions, it is useless wisdom. This is another another way of saying faith without works is dead. So people are saying, I am wise, therefore go out and do these, these things this way, but they don't actually believe them. And we have so many examples of this in our day today. I'm sure that James had a lot of them in his day, and other people had them available to see in their day, but how many examples do we have? out there. We have the Al Gores of the world who go around talking about global warming and how the whole world is going to be destroyed and that we all needed to get more economical and cut down our carbon footprint. And he has made millions off of this. And yet if you go over to his house, you will see an oversized house. You will see multiple cars. You will see a man who flies to all the destinations that he wants to go to, most times in a private plane, not a not a commercial one. And he he's not living the way he's telling you to live. Most of these people that, that go about and they do these things, uh, they, they don't live the way they're telling you to live. The, uh, the, who's the, the Fauci guy? He's going out there, you know, first time he's telling people, don't wear a mask. Then he's telling them, all right, well, you ought to wear a mask. Now you should wear double mask. What's he, is he up to triple mask yet? 
<laughs> I mean, I'm sure he'll get there in, in that. But yet he's been caught many a time out on places without any mask going at all. Now, if he doesn't want to wear that, I have no problem with him wearing it. But don't go telling other people they need to live this way and you don't live that way yourself. That's what this verse is talking about. They want to pretend they are wise and that they know all the things there are to know about this and they want to pass this particular thing on, but they don't live that way. If you if you don't live that way, I mean, people in our government right now, they want us to be so afraid of certain diseases and certain viruses that everybody in America that's a citizen has to be tested and isolated and all that sort of stuff. And down on the southern border, they just want to open it up and say, come on in. And then when they test them as positive, they just release them into the, uh, into the, uh, into the, uh, common, uh, population. See, that's just, that's inconsistent. Either you believe this thing is deadly and you take actions that way, or you don't. But when you say, I believe it's this way, and then you act this way, that is ultimate foolishness, and that is deception, that's something that just gets me angry. Now, if pe- these people actually believed something that was false, but they lived along the lines of that that would be one thing but they but they don't do that they don't live the way they're telling everyone else to live and James apparently was having people that were doing this back in his day so if James had it and we have it I'm sure that all in between it has been going on and it was going on before James and it was going on before Jesus and it was going on probably before Moses this is just uh, one of the things that people are prone to but it doesn't mean that you need to give in to it. He says, be on guard against it. Do not boast and lie against the truth. Don't be out there and saying, I am wise. And then your very actions lie against the truth that you say you believe. Don't be doing that sort of stuff. People would be saying they are wise. If it does not affect your actions, it is useless wisdom. Or as we said, faith without works is dead. Just another way of saying it. Now, this wisdom, he says, is earthly. First off, it originates with man and is restricted to an earthly perspective. It's earthly. All you can get is your view down here. You have a, we can have a good view of things that are going on, but how many know we get a better view if we get up a little higher? It's one thing to have a view down here, but if you can get an aerial view and get to, you know, the planes to go up and can tell you all the things that are, are going on, military people love that. You know, down on the ground, <laughs> you got a certain amount of view, but if you can get eyes in the sky and they can be up there, oh, down over here, we got people sneaking up on you. Oh, great, thanks for that. They couldn't see that there, but when you get that aerial view, you can get out there and see it. Earthly wisdom can only see at the earth side. It can't see in the, the heavenly side. It can't see the spiritual aspect, aspect of these things. So he said this wisdom, this kind of wisdom that generates these things, first off, it's earthly. It originates with man and is restricted to an earthly perspective. Phillips translates this part of the verse that comes from the world. This wisdom, instead of earthly, he says, comes from the world. So the perspective would be, would be limited. Now they don't feel that it's limited and they don't speak about it like it's limited. They, they speak about it like they are all encompassing in all the things that they see. But they aren't. <laughs> they are not. But that's how they speak about it. So the first thing, this wisdom is earthly. The second thing, this wisdom is sensual. You're being guided by the wind, basically, instead of the rudder. And he talked about that in the previous chapters. We're not supposed to be guided by the wind. We're supposed to be guided by the rudder. 
Now, it origin this wisdom originates in the mind of man. It's sensual. It it our, our our mind puts this together as compared to godly wisdom, which comes from the mind of God. What wisdom is going to be better? That which comes from the mind of man, or that which comes from the mind of God? I'll go with the mind of God any day. So this wisdom is earthly. It's sensual. And the third thing he says, it's demonic. It's given to stir up strife. Now, I don't know if he means that this wisdom is all three of these at the same time, or this wisdom can be earthly. It can also be sensual. And it can also be demonic. I think it's more along that lines. Uh, sometimes you can have some wisdom that's influenced by all three, or by two. But um, certainly, we see some of this wisdom that is stirred up at least by one of these things. In the part with demonic, it's also given to stir up strife. Demonic wisdom will stir up strife. Some of the verses we see this, uh, not, not, not all false wisdom has demonic inspiration. But Paul warned that there would be such in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So there is some wisdom that will come from them. It is purely demonic and it is given to men and men accept it. And the men begin to, to spit it out. Even John wrote about this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The wrong spirit can be behind some of the things that people say and spout as being wisdom, godly wisdom, or great wisdom, whatever they might call it. So, um, verse 14, let's read it again. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. What we want is the wisdom that descends from God, that which comes down from Him. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's a pretty well-known verse. James 3.16 For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So the self-seeking is coming in, this evil is coming in, and he says, confusion and every evil thing are there. One of those reasons why I and others and you even, when you go out and you hear some of this wisdom that the world spouts that stirs these things up, it gets you angry. It gets you upset because you see these things that are there. It's bringing in all this evil. Now, Satan needs to bring in confusion before he can bring in every type of evil work. And it often often starts with strife. Strife will come in. This allows for the, the confusion to, to come in. Once the confusion comes in, yeah, evil work can come. That's why some of the things that the news media is spouting, you, you, you look at it and you say, how can you not see that this doesn't make any sense? How can you not see that this is stupid? But they don't. They, they really hang on to this thing. Uh, even in the thing of just the global warming part, they started predicting this, I believe, is uh, 60. I may have gone before that, but I know at least in the 60s, you know, everything's going to be done in 20 years. Of course, it wasn't. And then in the 70s, we got 20 more years again, and of course, it wasn't. And then in the 80s, we, and each time it's the cause is different. You know, the oceans are dying, Ted Danson, the oceans are dying. And then we went to global cooling and global warming, and then global cooling because, uh, you know, it didn't get warm enough, and we just keep changing the, the name of it. But still, we got 20 years, 20 years, 20 years. 
And no one ever calls him on it when the 20 years gets used up. I can say, I can think of a few people who called him on it, but <laughs> the media certainly, the mainstream media, they don't call him on these sort of things. But you would think that after a while that they would uh, pick up on the fact that, well, we're not buying into this or we shouldn't buy into this, but they still don't tout a new thing. And we only got 20 years. While the people that tout it are still flying all over the country. Nancy Pelosi's in her basement there with two, three different freezers holding her thousand dollars worth of ice cream. So she can go down there and enjoy it. This is, uh, <laughs> there is evil there. When you can get confusion to come on in, it is easier to get evil to settle in because we don't know what is there. It's that uh, famous phrase that they told us about way back when they were passing one bill. We have to pass it to find out what's in it. Uh, well, usually we find out what's in something before we decide to pass it. That's, that's usually the way that you go, but uh, apparently not anymore. Because you see, if you can get confusion in, then you can slip the evil in with it. And God does not bring about confusion. So once we release strife into an area... In our lives, confusion will get in. That's why God speaks so much about keeping strife out. When strife gets in, confusion will come in. This happens in all sorts of relationships. It happens with parents and children. It happens with spouses. It happens with employer and employees. It happens with neighbors. Strife gets in. Once the strife gets in, we begin to become self-seeking and I need to fight for what is mine. My neighbor wants to move his fence an entire foot. And that, I, I just can't tolerate that. We can't have that going on. And so we get upset. The strife comes in. Once the strife comes in, I begin to, to be self-seeking. And then confusion can come in. Evil can come on in. And I am no longer a witness to my neighbor. That has been taken out. Because I'm fighting over a foot. Of land that I won't even use. They won't even matter to me. But this is the kind of thing that we do. Husbands and wives begin to bicker and, and complain and, and fight about stuff. There really doesn't make that much of a difference. But as it begins to become elevated and strife begins to come on in, then we get self-seeking. Once we get self-seeking, the confusion can come on in. And I think that my wisdom, the thing I'm operating on, is the best. The other person, whoever it is we're in the argument with, well, they don't know what they're talking about. And we become closed off to any kind of reasoning. We become closed off to hearing anybody else's uh, side. We're just, we're just focused on, on what we have, what we're doing. And this is how the, the enemy works. This is constantly how we work. How did he get Adam and Eve to fall in the garden? He sowed the strife. God is keeping you from something. He does not want you to become like gods. He knows in the day that you eat of it, you will become as gods. How unfair is that of God to do that? He generated strife in a strife-free relationship. Then he began to say some things about the command and confused them on the command. Or at least she was confused or deceived. Adam wasn't. They began to seek after what was their own and they settled for a wisdom that did not descend from God. He, it worked in the garden. How many times did it work after the garden? How many times did it work for Israel? 
Israel's going through the wilderness. We don't have water. Our needs aren't being taken care of. And strife was inserted between Israel and God. God doesn't care. The disciples on the boat. The storm comes up. Everything was good until the storm came up. And then Jesus is sleeping. And the thought is sown. He doesn't care. Strife was inserted in the relationship. When strife was inserted in the relationship, confusion came in. Evil came in. Accusations came in. And Jesus stood up in the midst of that. And took care of it. This is what the devil wants to try and do. So this is Satan's road in. Its impact on our lives is very far-reaching. This is one of many, one of many places where we are told to refrain from strife, arguments, and so forth. Second Timothy 2.14 Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle, idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We have to make sure that we stay away from these things. And, and you know, Facebook can be a wonderful thing, but it can also be a place to just start stirring up strife and, and uh, arguments and, and so forth. Now, you can just stay out of it. You know, I've, I've told you some of my uh, rules that I follow to, to make sure that I stay out of the, the strife and, and all that sort of stuff. Because that's not going to do me any good. And it doesn't have to go that way. We can stay in a way that we're not out there arguing things. As uh, he puts here, words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. People begin to say some things there that are hurtful. But you see, I've gotten so focused on my viewpoint, my stance on this thing, that uh, I'll just crush other people in the meantime. And we got to make sure that we stay out of that. Williams' translation here for James three fourteen through 16 reads this way. But if you cherish bitter jealousy and rivalry in your hearts. If you cherish. Isn't that a way to put it? If you cherish bitter jealousy and rivalry in your hearts. And really that's what happens. People who get into this, they guard that bitterness and that jealousy with everything they have. Because that's important. Because these are important issues. And I'm not going to be walked on. I'm not going to be stepped on. People are going to, they're not going to ignore me. <laughs> this is what they, they'll say because they cherish the bitter jealousy and the rivalry that's going on in their heart. Stop being proud of it, he says. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's quite a way to put it. Stop being proud of this that's going on. And people who fall into this, they get very proud about this. They stand up and they say all sorts of stuff. And sometimes I've sat there and looked at them and said, I can't believe that you're you want people to know this is going on, on the inside of you. But they do. They stand up and they say these things. It's like, wow. But if you cherish bitter jealousy and rivalry in your heart, stop being proud of it and stop being false to the standard of truth. Stop being false to the standard of truth. Truth is a standard. We discover it. We don't create it. This is not the kind of wisdom that comes down from above. No, it is earthly, human, demonical. This, this type of, this type of wisdom that stirs these things up, this is, doesn't come down from God. For wherever jealousy and rivalry exist, there will be confusion and all sorts of evil practices. People get confused. People, uh, I mean, they, you, you, you look at some of these 
these things that people are selling so much of themselves to. I don't know if you've ever seen all that. I've talked to some parts of it, but everybody got all gung-ho about the wind energy. And if anybody ever broke it down for them, they would see this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Wind energy. If you want to generate, to gain back all of the energy required to make one windmill, for that one windmill to bring back all the energy that it took to make it. That's just a break-even point. Seven years. That's seven years of it running. It may not be able to run the whole time. Because if the wind is not high enough, it won't work. And if the wind is too high, you got to shut it down. So these things uh, won't go. If they get uh, cold weather and ice gets on there, well, now you got to shut it down too because the, the ice will be thrown like a... Uh, it would just be thrown... <laughs> you can get hit by, by flying ice off of these things. So it will take seven years for that. If you want to recover all the energy it took completely for the entire process to the point where you actually get from all that you put into it, money, expense, oil that it required, to all the maintenance, all the things. If you want to get to a zero sum for all the things that you have to put into one windmill. Anybody want to take a guess at how many years it takes? One, one windmill. It takes 50 years. Now, how long does a windmill last? <laughs> I heard 20 to 25 years is, is, is the longest that you will get out of it. 10 years might be more of a, of a real, real time thing. So at the end of that life, life uh, point, they have to take all that stuff because the fiberglass they make the windmill out of is toxic. So they can't just put it anywhere. So they got these uh, big landfills that are specially made for this material that they have to put all these things into. So, I mean, anyone with sense could tell you it's not worth doing. That's not even counting into, into consideration the wildlife that is killed. Because these things kill any bird, including endangered ones. And it's actually a bird cemetery all around there because the birds fly through and they just get chopped up. Uh, eagles can get chopped up and smaller birds. It doesn't matter if they're endangered or not. And the people that tout for all this stuff apparently don't care because they want the windmills to go. Why do they want the windmills to go through? They don't generate the energy. Just going down to Texas and find out whatever possessed that state to shut down natural gas and oil and all the things that were making energy and go more into this because when they had that cold snap, they, they didn't have enough power. They couldn't generate enough electricity for all this. So you, you look at that and you say, how can people look at this and say that there's anything good out of it? Because wisdom that doesn't come down from above has confusion, self-seeking. You see, certain people make money off of this and they want to make the money. They don't care who it hurts. Uh, I, can, I can make money building these things. And I want to make the money. This is the kind of wisdom. Now he didn't have people building windmills back in his day. But I'm sure that there were things that people were doing that didn't make a whole lot of sense when you looked at it compared to God's wisdom. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above. Glory to God. We get it in the positive. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, 
full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So wisdom from above is easily identified. It doesn't have all those negative things attached to it. But it has these things. First of all, it's pure. It will not compromise with sin. Wisdom from the world will compromise with sin. It will compromise and do things that will hurt some people. The wisdom of God isn't going to, isn't going to do this. It's first pure. It won't compromise with sin. It seeks the blessings of others, in other words, not the hurt or destruction of them. Then he says it's peaceable. It brings peace, not strife. It is peaceable. The wisdom of men, the wisdom of demons, the wisdom from earth, it's, it brings about strife. This is what it does. It causes strife. If you see somebody holding to a truth and all it does is get people stirred up with, with this strife with each other, more than likely, something's not quite right here. Now, if you look over at, uh, you may look over at the book of Acts and say, well, yeah, look at some of the wisdom that Paul spouted and people got into strife about it. Well, they got into strife because they were in self-seeking. Paul wasn't. Paul is here. He is presenting. This is what the Word of God says. Uh, if you didn't want to believe it, he's that's fine. He wasn't going to force you to do it. But the other side wanted to force them to, to shut up. They wanted to stone them. They wanted to beat them. They wanted to make them quit because people aren't buying our gods that we're making anymore because we're getting saved. This isn't good. So this peaceable brings peace, not strife to others nor turmoil to you. People who go around and they, they spout this thing, there's a turmoil that goes on the inside of them. They get, just get used to it. But when you come in the, into the kingdom of God, when you get into the family of God, and God's peace comes upon your life. How many times have you heard people that were unsaved, that were caught up in this, this type of uh, lifestyle, this type of wisdom, and they come into God, oh, it's so peaceful. I just... Oh, I just like the peace that is, that is there. That's one of the, the big things because we follow after the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, as he said here, is first pure, doesn't compromise with sin, then peaceable. There's not, it doesn't bring it in this, this strife. Here's the third one. It's gentle. It's fair. It's considerate. It's forgiving. It's not arrogant. It's not harsh or insulting. But the wisdom that comes from the world, that's insulting, that's inconsiderate, that's unforgiving. You will do it this way. You will go about it this way. You will have this. You will take this. You will do this. You will speak this way. And it's, it's forced upon. God never forces any of it. Here is the wisdom from God. If you want to believe it, then go for it. If not, all right, you'll, you'll suffer the consequences but we're not going to force you to do this. We're not going to force you to go to church. We're not going to force you to read the Bible. We're not going to force you to pray to God. We don't do any of that. But the other side is constantly want to, you will not read the Bible. You will not pray to God. You will not meet in church. You will not and have their list of all these things that they will not. They will impose upon you. So, Things that are from above, they are gentle. If the person that is spouting the wisdom is not gentle, they're harsh, they're mean, they're inconsiderate, 
They're irrational. They're insulting. That tells you right there where it's from. This is not godly wisdom. Don't follow after it. Don't speak those things. Don't adopt it into your beliefs. This is worldly wisdom. Stay away from it. Paul would call it out, but he would not force people to stop doing it. He didn't try and get petitions to get the local government. All right, make these guys stop this sort of stuff. He didn't do that, but he would present the truth. If you don't want to hear it, when he was in the in the synagogue and the Jewish people didn't want to hear the gospel anymore, what do he do? All right, I'm going to take it to the Gentiles. One town, they all got happy. Yeah, all right, we're going to get it. <laughs> they got got happy for that. Paul's not going to force anyone to take this. Jesus, when he was in town, if they didn't want to hear the message, what did he do? He went on to the next one. He told his disciples, if they don't receive your message, call down fire upon them and burn them up. Get a petition with the government. He didn't do any of that. What did he say? Shake the dust off your feet as a sign and then go on to the next town. You see, because God is in the gentle area. Worldly wisdom is not. Worldly wisdom wants you to be forced to do the things that it wants you to do. You will do this. You will comply. You will wear this. You will take this. You will do this. You will think this. You will speak this. Whatever it might be. They want to force you to do these things. Now, if we don't listen to God's wisdom, correction or judgment may result. But I have the choice. God says, if you don't want to listen, all right. But there is a consequence. It's just like, you know, when you're driving around on the on the street, we know that red light means stop. Now, you can violate that and go go right on through. But if you do, there's consequences. One of which could be a ticket. The second one could be an accident. If you go through the red light, the other person's going through a green light. They're not looking for somebody to be coming on through. And you may get into an accident. Somebody might get hurt. Your car might be uh, ruined. There's a There's a judgment that will come along with that. But you have that freedom to do so. The um, wanted to make sure. there it is. Okay, the next word, willing to yield. This is a fun word. I uh, spent a little bit of time trying to delve into this word. It's only used here, so we don't get a whole lot of places in the scriptures uh, in the Bible where we can do it. Uh, it's a compound word. Now you can find some of the the other words that is made out of in other places, but this compound word is only found here. Willing to yield is how it's translated in the New King James. A definition for this word would be persuadable or willing to yield. I copied that over from Miss Bob. That's why you'll, you'll get it. But what I, what I want you to see, Vines has this. Now, I had one source that was quoting Vines, so I went and looked up Vines. But Vines didn't, where I looked at, Vines didn't have it in there. And how they quoted Vines was wrong. Because they they broke it down into two words. <laughs> this is why this is really fun. And I gave you that. It looks like I left the Greek in there. Um, but anyway, it, it comes from two words. And the first is just a prefix for well. The other is uh, pi, piteomai, which means 
and in uh, the place that quoted vines, they actually had it to obey. And so I went and looked up the word. It doesn't mean to obey. It means to persuade. So I'm not sure what they were talking about, but they based it all off of that thing being to obey. But uh, vines didn't put it in there as to obey. He put it in there as to persuade and indicates a readiness to be convinced, open to be persuaded. So vines is saying, saying this about it, that not only am I willing to yield, but I indicate a readiness to be convinced. Now, you say, well, how do we stand for the truth then? If I stand for the truth, but I'm always willing to be convinced or persuaded, that doesn't sound like I'm standing for the truth very much. But you see, what you have to have is you have to have an attitude that says, I believe that what I'm doing is right because of this, 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 and this. And you have things in the scripture that you that you base that on. If you're going to have a stand, there needs to be scriptures that you have. Some people just make a stand. They have no scripture. They're just making a stand. Well, I want it to be this way. I think it ought to be this way. I don't think God would do all those sort of things that they say, but they have no scripture for it. But you can have scriptures for something and be wrong. You've misunderstood the scriptures. You took them out of context, whatever it might be. You could have scriptures there and be wrong. And, but you're doing things because you think it's the right way to go. And then someone comes along and says, wait a minute, that's not how it is. Remember Apollos? He was teaching what he thought was true. And he was taken aside. Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and explained to him things better. Well, he had to have an attitude of being willing to yield or... As the, um, as the thing he was, uh, was put here, you have to be open to be persuaded. Now, this, I'm not talking about it open to just change your mind. Some people are just open to change their mind. As soon as somebody comes along and says something else, oh, all right, I'll go with that. No, I'm, we're talking about persuaded. We're talking about somebody sits down and shows you, all right, let me show you what it says here in the scripture. Okay, I see that, I see that. I, said, oh, I didn't see that before. Oh, wow, that is so right. Oh, I was believing something that was wrong. I was thinking something that was right. It's not. There it is. Right there. Okay. I've been persuaded. See, that's the idea that it should be. Moses is one of the best examples of this because Moses was doing something that he thought was right. And he sat and he judged the children of Israel over and over uh, every day. He would get up and he would be there for most of the day judging them. And when Jethro, his father-in-law, came on over, he says, no, this isn't good. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear out the people. You gotta appoint other people. Well, Moses was willing to be persuaded. He heard the argument. Alright, yeah, I can see that. Alright, I can see this will go. Alright, and, and then he, he was persuaded. This is what the word is talking about. It is not talking about someone who's wishy-washy and just changes with every group that comes in. This group comes in and says, we believe this way. Alright, we'll believe that way. Another group comes in, they, we believe this way. Alright, well, I can believe that. And they just get tossed about with, uh, every wave, every wind. We know that uh, that is not what James is talking about. But are willing to yield. In other words, I believe this is right. This is why I'm doing it. But if you can show me from the scripture that this isn't so, that's that's all right. I remember some of the arguments that um, Brother Hagin had with the Lord on some of these things. And uh, the Lord would say, things are, are, are going in a certain way. That was an uh, example. I was just listening to him this morning. And he was talking about one of those... Uh, times that he was talking with the Lord and while the Lord was giving him instruction a demon spirit came up and was making all kinds of noise and jumping up and down and getting in between him and Jesus and um, he couldn't see Jesus real well anymore and he couldn't hear him anybody remember that story that he told and so 
while this is going on, he, he knew, he said, I, I want to hear what Jesus is saying because Jesus is saying some important things to him, but I can't hear him because this demon spirit is there. And so uh, after a few minutes, I don't know how long it was, he took authority over the demon spirit. And that demon spirit quit jumping up and down, just kind of cowered over there and and uh, and stayed there. And, and Jesus said to him, he said, if you wouldn't have done that, I couldn't. And he said, no, you mean you wouldn't, right? And the Lord said, no, I couldn't. And I think he argued with him a second time. You mean you wouldn't? No, I couldn't. He said the third time, it got a little stern. <laughs> got a little stern with him. And so, um, no, I, I couldn't. And he says, well, he says, you're going to have to, you're going to have to show me in the scripture. And he says, and I want at least three New Testament scriptures because that's where we live. That's what he told him. I want at least three New Testament scriptures because that's where we live. And, um, uh, the Lord said, I'll do you better. I'll give you four. <laughs> and so he began to teach them about this. And and as he was going on, I believe Brother Hagin said to him, he said, oh, I didn't know that was in there. And that's when the Lord said to him, there's a lot in there you don't know. <laughs> and there is. There's still a whole lot yet in the scriptures that we don't know. But he was able to be persuaded. See, he had stood in a certain way and gone a certain way because he thought that was right. But we have to have the attitude that I might be wrong if you can show me from the Scripture, if you can show me an argument from the Scripture that this isn't so, then um, you have to be willing. I remember, I've used this example a few times, but you remember in the end times class and I was talking about that one author who just aggravated me because of the way he was writing, but I felt like he had something that would, that would help me. And finally, when we got to the meat of it, he did. And he persuaded me to take something that was a stand that I had had every time I had taught end times and say, I came back and said, well, I was wrong on this. This isn't the way that it is. It's this way. And we, we showed with the scriptures for that. There, you have to maintain an attitude that how I believe right now may not be completely right. I can be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I need to be willing to be persuaded. But someone needs to persuade me with scripture. But someone will persuade with pressure. You'll see that going on in this country a whole lot more. And that pressure is going to be turned up in certain areas. As uh, evil has uh, continually taken over more of our country. The more evil that comes in, then the more pressure is put on that you will comply. You will do things this way. So we'll, we're going to be seeing that. But I have to have a willingness to yield. I have to be able to be persuaded. I have to be persuadable, so to speak. So I'm open to hearing that what I believe might not be what God wills. And I'll listen and yield to what the Word of God teaches. Because I'm still growing. I'm still learning on this, these things. Even in the area of medicine, people did things in a certain way. Because they believe it was the best way, but then all of a sudden they find out, well, it's, leeches aren't necessarily helping our patients. <laughs> so they, they went away from that. And, they, you know, thank God that they did. That wasn't necessarily the, the thing. I, I, I love that part in the Star Trek movies, the, the original ones. What was the, uh, the one back in time? And the doc's out there in the hallway and they're doing, um, uh, they're treating the kidney the, the way they usually do, uh, dialysis, I think it was. And, uh, he says, good lord. What are we in the Stone Ages? <laughs> and he goes into his bag and he pulls out a pill. He says, "Take this." 
and he gives it. Anybody remember that scene? Yeah. Gives him that that pill. Takes that pill, and uh, he goes off and he does the thing he has to do. And by the time he comes back down, you know they're running because they're being chased. But he he sees her in the hallway. Uh, I'm cured. I'm cured. <laughs> but but you see. What we're doing right now, even in the area of dialysis or whatever type of a procedure we have, it's just because it's the best that we know to do, it doesn't mean it's the best way to take care of it. It's just the best that we know to do. And so we're we're following that procedure. But if we stay persuadable, then we can learn. You look at things out in space, it's a good thing that people were persuadable and didn't just think that the way they thought always was and always is. They said, well, we might be wrong on some of this stuff. I heard somebody say when they landed on the moon, they were not 100% sure that the the module that landed on the moon wouldn't sink. They did all the calculations they could. They didn't know how much moon dust was actually there. And so there was actually a collective, oh, when the lunar module landed on the moon the first time and it didn't sink down into the into the dust that was there. Uh, I didn't know that when I, for, for many years afterwards. But I was able to, to learn that and find that out. We have to be able to be persuaded. And there's, how many of y'all know people, you can't persuade them. You can't talk to them about anything. What they know, they know is this is true. And, and so you don't even bother talking to them. Well, there's no sense in me talking to so-and-so about this. He's saying right here, the wisdom of God is willing to yield. If I'm operating the wisdom of God, I'm willing for people to persuade me that something else might be so. So I'm open to hearing what they, what, what I believe might not be, be right there. Here's the next one, full of mercy. That's an inward attitude. You look at the wisdom that comes from the world, the wisdom that comes from Satan. These folks are not full of mercy. There's no mercy in them at all. If you don't comply, if you don't do what we want, judgment. You'll do without. We'll take away what you got. This is the, this is the way that they go. If you see that, that is not the wisdom of God. And if it's not the wisdom of God, guess where it comes from? It comes from the earth. It comes from people's minds. It comes from demonic spirits. It's coming from one of those places. But the wisdom of God is full of mercy. Not half full. Not a little bit of mercy. We're talking full of mercy. Just just look at the people that say they operate in the mercy, operate in the wisdom of God. How much mercy is really there? When someone does them wrong, are they willing to extend mercy or just judgment? That will tell you. They may say, I'm operating in the wisdom of God. But these are actions that will demonstrate they are not full of mercy and good fruits. So inward, they have this attitude of mercy. Because of that, outwardly, they have good fruits. These people that are running our government anymore. These people in the Senate that have been in there for 20, 30, 40, whatever number of years and just keep getting richer and richer. There's not good fruits for them. There's fruits that benefit them and that's it. But those that are filled with the wisdom of God are full of mercy and good fruits come out of what they do. God's wisdom results in compassion for the suffering and the results are good works, not evil. He says, without partiality, the best rendering, this comes from uh, one of my sources that probably most people don't have, but it was the best uh, I could find. And this best rendering is perhaps without wavering, unshakable. 
unwavering and unshakable. Williams puts verse 17 this way. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of compassion and good deeds, free from doubts and insincerity. Free from doubts and insincerity. So without partiality, we're not just talking about the, the partiality like he had re- referred to before. We're looking at doubts. Uh, well, I, I like this, but uh, I'm not so sure about this one. I'm not going to believe that we're, we're doubting. We're getting into that part of wavering and doubting. Wisdom from God, there is no doubting with it. I understand what God has shown me. Because of that understanding, I don't doubt it. He says here in the, the last part, without hypocrisy, no attempt to pretend or to make a good impression. The people that follow after the wrong kind of wisdom are always trying to pretend something different, something else. There's a pretending that goes on. And we, we don't have to have that. You look at the news media, how much they operate under the wrong kind of wisdom. They'll look at the same situation under a president that the media likes and they will call the same thing something good. The same thing is going on under a president that they don't like and they will call it something bad. The situation doesn't change. The president does and they call it something good. It's ridiculous how they do this. And it's not just one issue. It's several issues. I've seen this, this go on. But it's hypocrisy. They attempt to pretend or to make a good impression. That's all they're out there to do. We just want people to, to see what it is that we're doing. What God wants and what God sees when he gives us the godly wisdom is that there is a genuineness about us. Don't tell someone to do something, but then don't practice it. If you're going to tell somebody to do something, then you, then you practice it. If I teach you uh, principles of faith from the word, but then go out from here and don't practice it, then what good is that? If I teach you from the Word of God, this isn't, this is gonna hurt you if you do these things, and then I go out there and I do it. What good is that? See, we gotta, we gotta practice. This doesn't mean I need to be perfect, but if I mess up, I need to be able to come up and say, you know what? I know this isn't right. I did it, and it, it wasn't good to do. See, you, you have to come and admit that sometimes to understand the wisdom of God is true. Stand with it. Don't be with hypocrisy as they will be. Let's read it all together here, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Williams' translation makes this a little more understandable. The harvest of uprightness is grown from the seed of peace by those who are peacemakers. Isn't that easier? The harvest of uprightness is grown by the seed of peace by those who are peacemakers. People who don't operate in the wisdom of God are not out to, to sow peace. They stir, stir up unrest. They stir up strife. They stir up anger. They pit one group against another. The poor against the rich. The educated against the uneducated. Uneducated. Those that are in debt against those that are not in debt. 
those who have big cars against those who have those who have little cars, those who live in the city against those who live in the suburbs. You name it, whatever kind of group they can put people into, they want to get those groups to fight, to be bitter, because as long as there is strife in those groups, they gain, they benefit. And as long as their self-seeking ways are satisfied, they do not care what kind of stuff they stir up in the mean of it. Mean, meantime. But the harvest of uprightness is grown from the seed of peace by those who are peacemakers. The people that are walking according to the wisdom of the world, they don't care about the harvest of uprightness because the harvest of uprightness benefits a, a large group of people. They want what benefits themselves. And when you look at these, how many times they have passed these huge trillion dollar bills. I, I think I've lost count over the last couple of decades. How many times have they done these super, you know, one, two, it used to be just be one or two trillion. Now it seems like it's going up higher than that. And what they'll do inside these one or two trillions is they'll give everybody in the country, you know, a certain amount of money, a, a bonus. What was it? Sometimes it's a couple hundred, then it was 600, then we saw uh, more money. But the bulk of it goes to all the groups that that they want, that the people who pass the bill want, because those groups are going to pass money back into them. So you got two trillion dollars going out, and the monies that they for benefiting, like in this last one that went out for the COVID relief, and so much of it was going to go to the to the people. Do you know that uh, people in prison got a fourteen hundred dollar check? <laughs> I couldn't figure out why they had to do that. They weren't making any money before. Why they have to get it now? But if you look at the overall percentage-wise, it's pretty low because of uh, you know. All these other countries were giving money to them and then they, of course, kicked back some of the money to the people that helped them to get it. It's been going on this way, not just uh, in the last year. It's been going on this way for decades, as, as far as I know. It's just getting a bigger and bigger scale. But the harvest of our brightness is grown from the seed of peace by those who are peacemakers. Now, this fruit of righteousness this term that we see there in the in the New King James, or harvest of our brightness, as uh, Williams puts it out. It's an Old Testament term. It's found in Proverbs 11.30 where it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. You also see it in Amos 6.12 where you see the fruit of, of righteousness into, they turn the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. So it's an Old Testament term that James brings in to this particular uh, passage about the wisdom of God. There is a fruit of righteousness. If we walk in the wisdom of God and operate in the righteousness that he says, there is a fruit from it. It is a harvest, which means it has the seed has to be planted and the seed has to grow to maturity. And then there is a harvest. That's too slow for people of the world. They want something quicker. If I do this, though it's illegal, I get something, I get a kickback, I get something right away. And so they're in there for the self-seeking. We don't care that it doesn't help the country out overall in a long period of time. All we care about is what's going to help me out now. So, we need seeds of peace, not seeds of discord and strife. We need seeds of peace, not seeds of discord and strife. This is what we have to do. 
the enemy wants seeds of discord and strife because by doing so, confusion gets to be entered in and the enemy's purposes get to be accomplished, but not God's. But when peace is sown and peace is harvested, this is where we see the, the things of God come about. We have a lack of heavenly wisdom and a surplus of the other, it seems. We need to operate more into the heavenly wisdom. So compare the wisdom you hear with the list James gives and see which category it fits into. It's really pretty basic and pretty easy to tell which wisdom someone is operating by. If they operate by the wrong kind of wisdom, the end result is not going to be what you want as a Christian. If they operate in the godly kind of wisdom, the end result is going to be the fruits of righteousness. These are going to be the things that we want. We're going to see uh, peace. We're going to see uh, mercy. We're going to see good things coming about, not the discord, not the strife, not the confusion that comes in from the other. The results are either the fruits of righteousness or the works of evil. It's going to be one or the other. And people operate either by the wisdom of God or they operate by the wisdom that comes from the world, the wisdom that comes from their own mind, the wisdom that comes from the enemy himself. When I see it in operation, we as Christians should get away from it. We should not associate with that kind of wisdom. We should not function with that kind of wisdom. We should not help that kind of wisdom. I've seen too many churches that have fallen into this and they're going after the wisdom of the world. And we see this in a number of churches that are, are uh, changing their stance on what marriage is, changing their stance on uh, just all, so many issues. I'm not going to go over them all, but so many of those issues, we've changed it because this is the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of God. This is what God says. All right, well, that's what he said, but that's kind of outdated. We don't need to go that way anymore. We need to go this way. If we can operate by the wisdom of God, the results that we will have will be much greater. But as he's been talking about his words, I cannot just have words of faith, words of wisdom, and not back it up with actions. I've got to stand behind what it is that I say I do. If I believe this is the wisdom of God, I need to stand behind it. I need to go in that way. But I need to have an attitude that says, I might be wrong in this, and if you can show me from the Word of God, <laughs> be persuadable, but from the Word of God, that this isn't so, then um, then we can change. How many? I'm sure all of you can think of sometimes something that you thought was true in the Word of God and operated your life around it, and then all of a sudden, God showed you, that's not, much tr- that's not true. Oh, I was operating by something wrong. And so you changed it. You altered what you did. You were persuadable. That's the wisdom of God. Not everybody operates that way. When people are operating in the wisdom of the world, they will lack the persuadability. You can't talk with them. And we're, we're seeing that a whole lot in this country anymore. You can't talk to certain people, to, to some people about certain issues. They just get all righteously indignant and that's it. Now, if you can't persuade, if I can't persuade somebody on an issue through the Word of God, then I basically don't spend any time on it. Because that's where I'm going to, that's the only place I'm going to go from. I got to be able to persuade it from the Word of God. So all the time when I'm seeing something 
in the world. I always look, where's that in the Word of God? Where's that same attitude? Where does that same event? How does that same thing happen in the Word of God? And then when it happens in the Word of God, all right, what can I learn from the Word of God about them when they were in this situation so I know how to face it What we're in the same situation now? And that's what I always always look for because my wisdom will come from the Word of God and God will show me these things that are in it. Well, Father, we thank you for your Word that it is complete and it teaches us so much thing, so many things about wisdom and that your wisdom has certain characteristics that when we operate by it, we follow in these same characteristics. This is why you said in your Word that people of faith, people that are believers, not just people in ministry, but people that are believers, they need to operate in a certain way. We shouldn't be going around arguing about words, arguing about things that didn't make a difference. But we need to stay with what's important. But the world wants to go in a different direction. Father, I thank you that we don't have to go the way of the world. We want to stay in the way of your wisdom. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.